If you have a struggle with miracles, the virgin birth, the resurrection, or any miracle that God might want to do in your life today, and let me tell you something, if you're in a hurting place, he wants to do a miracle in your life. If you have a problem with miracles, then you've got a problem with creation. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. What do you know about the ascension of Jesus as told to us in the Gospel of Luke? Is there any doctrinal significance to the story? Today, we'll take a look at the last moments of Jesus' time on earth and what His ascension means to us today. Here's David with a message simply called, The Ascension. Well, we just sung um, a song about what we Christians believe. You just stated the Apostles' Creed, which was written probably second century, which means those who wrote it uh, were informed by the Apostles, the 12 followers of Jesus themselves. That's why it's again called the Apostles' Creed because those who wrote it got that information directly from those who directly got it from Jesus. So my point as we begin this message today is very simple. If you don't believe that, call yourself spiritual, call yourself religious, just don't call yourself a Christian. So our Lord and Savior, for those of us who follow Jesus, have an understanding of what we believe. And what I want to do today is to give you a deeper insight into one of the major doctrines of the Christian faith that is often overlooked, often overlooked. It's called the Ascension. It's the last verses of Luke, the 24th chapter. We've been studying the resurrection and The book of Luke ends with the ascension, and actually the book of Acts continues that same idea in Acts 1, because in case you don't know, Luke and Acts are connected. Luke wrote Acts, and so the end of the book of Luke continues in Acts 1. John separates them in the history of the church for a lot of different reasons, but historically, Luke and Acts go together. And again, what I want to push you on today is if you don't believe not only in the ascension, but all the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, call yourself spiritual, call yourself religious, just don't call yourself a follower of Jesus. Because if you love Jesus, you've got to believe these particular doctrines that fit all together for the truth of our salvation to be known. So let me go over the major doctrines of the faith that lead up to the ascension. Uh, There are eight very quickly, as quickly as possible. Here they are. It all begins with a belief in the doctrine of God. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't believe as Christians in a multitude of gods. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He even shows up in creation in Genesis 1 when the wording is, let us create humans in our image, our us. There is a plurality in the Godhead. They all perfectly loved one another, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you don't believe in the triune God, call yourself spiritual, call yourself religious, just don't call yourself a follower of Jesus because it's essential that you believe in the Trinity. The term's never mentioned in the Bible. It's talked about all the time. Those three in the Godhead perfectly loved one another. And they wanted that love to be extended, which leads to the next doctrine of biblical conviction. It's the doctrine of creation, that God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1. And if you have a struggle with miracles 
in any capacity, the virgin birth, the resurrection, or any miracle that God might want to do in your life today. And let me tell you something. If you're in a hurting place, he wants to do a miracle in your life. If you have a problem with miracles, then you've got a problem with creation. Because the God who created the heavens and the earth can do anything he wants to do. And he created this world and you and me in order for the love that existed among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to be given to us. And for us to love God and to love our neighbors with that same kind of love. That's why we were created. God also created angels. A third of them fell. One of them, Lucifer, the angel of light who became Satan, came to this earth, thrust out of heaven along with his minions. And they tempted Adam and Eve. Which leads to the next doctrine. It's the doctrine of the fall. Everything in Genesis 1 and 2 in creation operated perfectly, in harmony, the way God wanted it to operate. But when the fall occurred, disharmony came in every possible way. In the created order, earthquakes, tsunamis, all those different natural disasters, our bodies became sin-filled. We now die. That was never a part of God's original intent. Death was never intended by God for that person. It's a part of a broken, fallen world. Disharmony in our emotions, fear, anxiety, shame. Those negative emotions were never intended by God in original intent. But the fall did happen. And it's passed on through sexual intimacy between a man and a woman. It's called the doctrine of original sin. And if you don't believe in that, just have children. I believe in the doctrine of original sin because I have three children. And I've seen it in them from the moment of day one where they want the world to revolve around them. I'm now seeing it in my grandkids as much as I don't want to see it in them especially. But every time I go over there, they want to be the center of my life because there's this disease that's passed on from conception to the next generation, the next generation that the Bible clearly teaches. And if you don't believe in the fall and how sin's passed on, call yourself a spiritual person or a religious person, just don't call yourself a biblical Christian because that's clearly what's taught. And after the fall, God begins what's called salvation history, the doctrine of salvation history. What does that mean? It's when Adam and Eve fell, their relationship with God was separated, and they were going to spend eternity separated from him. And every one of us born thereafter because of that sin nature passed on to us through Adam and Eve, we're going to spend eternity separated from God as well. Here's the problem, though. God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit still loves one another perfectly. He still loves us, and he still wants to have that relationship with us. He wants us to know him intimately. He wants to reestablish that love for that he has for us and to give us a life's purpose. But we're wandering aimlessly away from God because of our sin. Well, God decided to do something about it. He began salvation history by calling a man named Abraham. In Genesis, the 12th chapter, he entered into a covenant with him, and he said, through you and your seed, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. He began a nation called Israel. Then you have the patriarchs thereafter. You have Isaac and Jacob and Joseph Abraham's lineage that at the end of Genesis had 70 people in Egypt with Joseph, the last patriarch, and they were in relationship with one another. Then between Genesis and Exodus, that 70 goes to 3 million, and they're in enslavement in Egypt. So God raises up a man named Moses, and he calls Moses, a Jew, to take his people out of that enslavement and bring them to his promised land that he promised Abraham some years beforehand. And Moses does so. And he has the Red Sea parted by a miracle of God. You have a problem with the Red Sea's parting? You've got a problem with God. 
and that Red Sea parts, God takes them to Sinai, and there he gives them several things. First of all, a belief in the one true God. Polytheism filled the world. The cultures of the world believe in a multitude of different gods. God raised up Abraham to teach him there's one true God, the beginning of salvation history. And then he gave those people an understanding, secondly, of how to worship the one true God. And then thirdly, he gave them rules on how to live. Dear friends, God's laws are not meant to inhibit us. They're meant to protect us. God loves us so much, he sees ways that if we go beyond those guardrails on the road, we'll go over the cliff. So he gave the Israelites, first of all, 10 moral laws to follow. And then he also gave them ceremonial laws, which were blood sacrifices to forgive them of their sins. What was their greatest need? They had the human negative emotion of guilt. They needed God's forgiveness. So God told Moses to have a series of blood sacrifices for the forgiveness of their sins. The people intuitively knew that blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of their sins. They knew they were guilty of their continued rebellion against God because they had this selfish sin nature. And I would suggest to all of you today that the cultures of the world understand there needs to be some kind of blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins. Even those who don't know Jesus especially know it. For example, Marilyn and I got back from Nepal. Uh, while there, we experienced the largest Hindu temple in Nepal. 80% of Nepal is Hindu. It's the largest percentage of Hindus of any nation on the face of the earth. At that temple, we saw some amazing pictures uh, these pictures were of the people burning constantly sacrifices to the gods. They have a plurality of gods, over 330 million they believe in, and that was to satisfy the gods and their anger against them. And what is so interesting is after they would have their dead come to this river, you see the river at the bottom, which is their holy river in Kathmandu, they would wash the feet of all of their dead people and they would wail uproariously, and I just found myself with great sadness as I listened to their wailing over the loss of their loved ones, and they would burn them on these funeral pyres, and then they would sometimes sacrifice goats and other animals for the forgiveness of their sins, hoping in their religious worldview that karma would take them to a higher life form. You know, don't you, that inestimable theologian Bono said it well, there are two world's religions, grace or karma. You either get what you deserve or God intervenes and you don't get what you deserve. Every world's religion that has works is a part of what they've got to do, especially in Hinduism where they wash the feet and then burn the body, sacrifice animals, spill blood, have a sense that something's got to happen to interfere on God's anger against me so that my sins can be forgiven. And that's what the Jews did under the law of God, trying to create a positive karma, if you will, obeying rightly so God will bless them. Did you know recently archaeologists in South America have discovered a city with a valley where there are hundreds upon hundreds of little children's bones? Do you know what happened? They sacrificed them. The people and the parents sacrificed their, their children in order for the gods to be appeased and for blessings to come to them. They also found an enormous number of the bones of llamas, blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. 
And God gave that to Moses that was in the book of Leviticus. For those of you who now know why the ceremonial law was given, it was a foreshadowing and a foretaste of the understanding that blood must be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And then that salvation history continues with the formation of the Jews, the wisdom literature, the prophets from Isaiah through Malachi. And then at the end of Malachi, it just ends. But you have the Israelites set up with an understanding of the one true God, of how to worship the one true God, and the need for blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. And then there's 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. Silence. Until the next doctrine takes place. At some point in that end of the 400 years, the father looked at the son and he said, would you go? Would you go? And the son said, yes, I'll go. Humbling himself in obedience to the father's will for his life, the son put on human flesh, was conceived through a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit, the way sins passed on was overseen by God, bypassed by God, and this baby named Jesus, whose name means Savior from our sins, was birthed in a stable in Bethlehem. It's called, again, the incarnation, God with flesh on. You love chili con carne? That's chili with flesh on. This is God con carne, folks. God with flesh on. It's the incarnation. And if you don't believe that God became a human being and that Jesus was fully God and fully divine and fully human at the same time, If you don't believe that, call yourself spiritual, call yourself religious, just don't call yourself a Christian. Because the incarnation is not an uncommon doctrine. It's essential for those of us who believe. And then the incarnation leads to the cross. This baby Jesus grows up and he lives for 33 years, the perfect life none of us can live. As the perfect God-man, he lives the perfect life we can't live because he had no sin within him. And then he goes to the cross and he dies. His blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. All of those animal sacrifices in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, folks, were foreshadowings and foretastes of the cross of Jesus. All a part of salvation history. All a part of the plan of God. And when Jesus died on the cross, remember his last words? It is, remember, it's finished. What's finished? The work of salvation for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can be reconnected to God in heaven, our sins forgiven because God's perfect and holy. Our sins have to be forgiven. Now we can have his love once again poured out in us and we can do what Jesus calls us to do and that's to love God and love our neighbors. The the two laws now that replace all of the hundreds of those in the old covenant. That's what happened with The cross. And then there was the resurrection. What's the resurrection? The resurrection is God's way of saying, the cross is true. I've joked with you from time to time. You can't keep a perfect God down. If Jesus is God, he can't stay in that tomb. He's got to rise from the dead, which he did. And it was God's exclamation mark to say, he's alive. The tomb is empty. The cross is true. Your sins are forgiven if you just confess them and you receive by grace through faith forgiveness, not by your works. Remember, there are two worlds of religions, karma and grace. Karma is you get what you deserve. Grace means God has intervened because he loves you so much. And because of Jesus, you don't get what you deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve hell. 
We deserve eternal separation from God. But God did a rescue mission with Jesus and died on the cross and was raised from the dead to prove that he has granted us now the forgiveness of our sins. The resurrection is true. And if you don't believe in the resurrection, that these eyewitnesses saw it, Jesus, and were willing to give their lives for him, which is one of the great proofs of the resurrection, by the way. You are aware of that, aren't you? That, that why would these people say they'd seen a resurrected Jesus under the threat of persecution, scourging, torture, and martyrdom? Why would they die for something they knew was a lie. Let me tell you something, folks. The first strap that hits my back, especially one matted with bones and metal, the first one that bites into my flesh, I yell out, sorry, just kidding. We made it up. But they didn't. Every single one, even being tortured, even under martyrdom, died yelling out, Christos es curios. Christ is Lord. Why? They'd seen a resurrected Jesus. The resurrection's not optional. If you follow Jesus, you've got to believe in it. Call yourself spiritual. Call yourself religious. That's fine. Our culture's being imbibed with people of that perspective. That's fine. And continue to seek. We want you to seek. Just don't call yourself a Christian because that doctrine of the resurrection is absolutely essential. Now, what's the next one? Jesus not only died and was raised from the dead, he ascended to heaven. Now, you ready to get into it? From Luke, the 24th chapter, verses 50 through 53. And Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them, gave them a benediction. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried where, folks? Up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. If you really believe in the cross, resurrection, and ascension, you can't help but worship with great joy. And we're continually in the temple blessing God. Jesus blessed them before he ascended. They in turn blessed God through Jesus because of all the joy they had in their hearts. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with a conversation about how we're always a parent. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and with me today is Bart Noonan with West Boulevard Ministry. Bart, tell us about West Boulevard Ministry. Uh, Thank you, Bart, for this opportunity to speak about West Boulevard Ministry, and and more importantly, about Jesus Christ. West Boulevard Ministry serves the spiritual and physical needs of the families and the communities within the West Boulevard quarter to the glory of Jesus Christ. Whether we're doing neighborhood outreach cookouts, gatherings where we're bringing people outside of their apartments, their homes, into fellowship with one another, or we're doing Bible study bingo the first Wednesday of every month at Little Rock Apartments. And uh, we gather anywhere from 50 to 70 children that we share the gospel with and play bingo after our Bible study portion of the night. And a couple weeks ago, there's a young man who we've been walking with now close to three years who came in, he, he forgot something, like a lot of young, young kids do, he forgot something in the um, space, and he came back in and he ended up praying out myself and all the other volunteers for the West Boulevard ministry team that were gathered there for that night and led us all in prayer and closed it out. And this young man, we've been taking to church every every Sunday for about the past year and a half. And, and that's what it's all about. It's about providing an opportunity for Jesus Christ to work inside someone's heart and, and then encourage them along the way. That sounds great. Now, Bart, if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, how would they do that? 
The best way to do is uh, either email myself at bart at westboulevardministry.org or they can call me straight up in my cell phone and I always answer. I'm sort of like a doctor. The phone's always on and that's 980-298-9027. I would encourage folks too to also go to our website, which is westboulevardministry.org and there you can see some of our photo galleries. You can see some of the blogs and a lot of things we do throughout the West Boulevard Corridor to the glory of Jesus Christ. It is great having you with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, you're welcome, Jen. It's always great being with you. Well, David, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you wrote that we are always a parent. What do you mean by that? Well, I don't think I could have understood this uh, when I was in my pre-marriage days especially nor even in my days after Marilyn and I began to have one, then two, and then ultimately three. But now at this stage of life, as I now have eight grandkids and three kids who are all adults, this truth is absolutely true. You're always a parent. You still feel what they feel. You still experience what they experience. You are still inextricably linked to them, and I don't think it will ever fail. I think I'll be in my 90s should the Lord allow me to live that long, and when I look at how my children might be going through a tough time, I will feel what they are feeling Mm. because this truth is always true. You're always a parent. It is not true that when they leave the home, your parenting job is over and you'll no longer encounter them. It's just ridiculously untrue, and in fact, you'll discover, Jen, as grandchildren come your way, that if you have a great relationship with your children, they'll actually come back and ask you for tips Hmm. on how to live life and to do life well. So again, the truth is true. It will always be true. You will always be a parent and your kids will always be connected to your heart. It's just a reality. I can't imagine going into that next stage of life without having a really good foundation relationally with your children. And I think that it ties into a conversation we had recently on the program of, of providing safe boundaries with a curfew and and just building on that, building on that trust so that when they do become a parent themselves, they do lean on you for they wisdom. Do. That just sounds so beautiful in the way it should be. And interestingly, I would say, thinking of my dad, for example, who has passed on, but for many years, he was this awesome figure in my life. And I keep thinking of the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. That word fear is not trembling in God's presence, being afraid of what he's going to do. It's understanding that he's perfect love. Perfect love casts out all of that kind of negative fear. And then you have this wonderful sense of awe in the presence of this great dad. And then, after I left home and began life on my own, slowly but surely, my dad moved from being my father to my close friend. Mm. And I think that's what's supposed to naturally happen with parent and children, but it happened largely because my dad spent time with me, developed that relationship early on, and so that awe, that reverence went from 
fear to friend, and now I think of him so warmly as such a close, intimate friend. It allows you then to also understand as well, you're always a parent because you're connected to this person who is your close, intimate Mm. friend. I love this. This is so beautiful. Thank you so much for these insights today, David. Well, thank you. And everyone listening, Ephesians 6 verse 2 says for dads not to exasperate their children. They are called to love their children, and you exasperate them when you just demand legalism, following rules and regulations and not offer them love. Mm. When you love them, your hearts will always be connected. And if you'd like to have a daily moment of hope from me, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. There you can subscribe and get these daily written moments of hope from my heart to yours every morning at 7 a.m. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We'd love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for the underground church in the Middle East.